Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is October 27th, 2022, and I'm joined as usual by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today we're going to talk about how we know state election integrity laws are not suppressing the vote. So Dr. Matthews, as we record this today on October 27th, we're about a week and a half out from the 2022 midterm elections. Mm -hmm. And um, election integrity, election laws, election procedures have been a very, very controversial topic for the last two years Mm -hmm. uh, since the 2022 presidential election. Uh, A number of states have implemented changes to their election laws and uh as as red states in particular have tried to uh tighten up some of their election laws uh they've been accused of doing this in order to suppress the vote uh but you have some thoughts on that well right it, apparently the voters out there didn't get the memo that uh the republicans had made it too hard for them to vote because news stories are claiming that uh, they're getting record turnout in a number of states that have already begun early voting. Now, not every state has already has begun early voting, but I think most states have by now. And so the New York Times last Saturday, and I'm quoting from the New York Times, days into early voting in the in the 2022 midterm elections, states across the country have seen a surge of voters casting ballots at in-person voting sites and by mail. The latest sign that the 2020 election ushered in a transformation in the way Americans vote. And it did uh, it did usher in a transformation. It's just not the transformation that uh, that the uh, the left has been predicting from the voting laws. So Georgia, that was sort of the ground zero for the what the accusations of voter suppression. Uh, in the laws that they passed. And it, our listeners will remember Democrat Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor, several times tried to accuse the state of trying to suppress the vote. Uh, President Joe Biden went to Georgia and claimed that that election integrity law was what he called Jim Crow 2.0. So the question is, how's it going in Georgia in the in the uh, in the early election process here? And I'm quoting from the Georgia Secretary of State. Georgia has had record early voting turnout since the first day of early voting this year, surging to nearly twice the number on the first day of early voting in 2018. So the first day of early midterm voting in 2022 was nearly twice the number of the early midterm voting in 2018. And that was even a a large turnout because people were responding to Donald Trump. And so um, you had this high voter turnout apparently includes low income people. So you can't just say you can't just say you had early, you know, high turnout so far because what the left is saying, well, sure, you might have high turnout. But the whole purpose of these laws were to uh, to keep suppress the vote from low income people and from minorities and so forth. But it turns out that that doesn't appear to be the case. So the United States Elections Project and, and their mission is to sort of track election statistics. And they're at the University of Florida, if I remember right, says that nearly eight million early votes ca- of the ne- nearly eight uh, million early votes cast as of October 24. More than half of them 
were Democrats. And these were in the 17 states that uh, that report party registration. So, Tom, more than half of them were Democrats coming out early. You know, um, I, I think, if anything, you sort of uh, understated the degree to which in the media, it's not just the left, but even in oh, the mainstream yeah. media. Well, there, there uh, you repeat yourself. Yeah, well, that's true. But uh, it was just routinely reported that the only possible reason for states to be changing their election laws or tightening up their election laws was to purposely suppress the vote. And the implication, of course, is that what they're trying to do is suppress minority vote, suppress African-American vote and things like that. And in fact, you know, the statistics you were just giving are referring to this immediate midterm election that has begun here. But there were a couple of states who had off cycle elections in 2021. Mm -hmm. And we saw the same thing. We we saw that turnout actually went up, even though some of those states had actually changed and tightened up some of their election laws. So of the three states that record race and ethnicity data in the early vote, and those three states are Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, three southern states, 28.2% of the early voters had been non-Hispanic blacks. And ironically, even Georgia's Black Lives Matter is celebrating. They, they put out a press release saying, and I'm quoting again from the uh, Black Lives Matter in Georgia, voter turnout in Georgia reached historic highs on the first day of early voting in this midterm election. And black voters comprise 35 percent of all those who turned out to vote. I can't think of anything more uh, more uh, sort of disconcerting to Stacey Abrams in the sense that she kept saying these people were going this group of people, uh, the minorities, uh, low income and so forth, were not going to be able to get out and vote. And yet Black Lives Matter in Georgia is celebrating the number of people who came out early. Yeah. You know, when 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 some of this data first started coming out about the fact that turnout was higher, even though. Uh, states had tightened up some of their voting laws, the immediate reaction to that was, well, that doesn't mean they're not suppressing the vote. Right. You know, and, and the the implication was, all that means is maybe more white people are turning out or exactly. something like that. But as you point out, you know, we're getting, we're getting better, better, more granular data here. And in fact, African-American vote is turning, the African-American vote is turning out at higher levels. And I, it is kind of comical that Black Lives Matter is, is counting this as a success kind of undermines the uh, the overall message that the Democrats like to lean on, which is that Republicans are trying to suppress your vote. Well, it's interesting because in the uh, in the primaries, Georgia had record high turnouts as well. And Stacey Abrams released a press release saying, that's because we did such a good job of getting out and getting people registered. Well, wait a minute. It, it, <laughs> I, I thought the issue was they had trouble voting. Getting them registered doesn't help them get over those obstacles that you said they were going to have voting. Yeah, I, I think the dirty little secret here is that there hasn't been any real serious vote suppression going on in this country probably for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the I'll, I'll grant that there certainly was no doubt in the South. And that's part of why you had the, the you know, the Voting, voting Rights Act. And that's mm-hmm. part of why we've had lots of court decisions and things like that. But it's 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 become it's it's become tiresome. And as you're pointing out, contrary to the actual data for us to continue to hear from Democrats and from the left that the Republicans are trying to suppress your vote. And I I love the expression uh, that a number of Republican politicians have started using 
and I think it's accurate that it should be it should be easy to vote and it should be hard to cheat. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason why those two things are mutually exclusive. There's no reason why those two things are incompatible. It should be easy to vote but hard to cheat. Now, the liberal Brennan Center for Justice has been tracking this. They track the uh, the legislation that has passed the various states, the ones they think have uh, made it harder to vote, the state the laws that they think have made it easier to vote. Um, and, and they also have tracked the lawsuits that have followed that. So it's interesting because and I, it's, it's a little complicated looking at the Brennan Center, but I'm, I'm quoting from uh, Reuters, which tried to summarize it, and I'm, here I'm quoting from Reuters. U.S. states have enacted more than 30 new voting restrictions since 2020, from voter ID requirements to limits on mail-in voting, uh, voting, fueling tensions between Republicans and Democrats ahead of the November general election. Now, th- th- several states did pass things. Uh, voter ID is actually very, very popular out there. When they go and ask, should uh, voters be required to have an, uh, an ID, across the board, it tends to be 80, 85 percent say yes. But at the same time, the Brennan, C- Brennan Center tracked laws that they thought were making it easier to vote and what which seems strange to me is that some of those states, the Brennan Center is very critical of those states that pass what they consider to be voter suppression. They call them voter suppression laws, voter restriction laws, and so forth. Um, it's some of the same states that pass what the Brennan Center considers voter suppression laws also uh, pass laws which make it easier to vote, which raises the question, well, how is it that you're saying that these states actually are, are at the same time passing laws to, suppress, uh, laws to suppress the vote and at the same time passing laws to make it easier to vote? I don't understand that. They don't well, try you know, to. When, when, I'm sorry. When yeah, you were they reading, don't explain it either. Yeah. When you were reading the uh, the quote from the Brennan Center, there was a fra- there was this phrase voting restrictions. Mm-hmm. And it kind of jumped out at me because, I mean, we all just naturally think of restriction as a negative thing or a bad thing. But, you know, I mean, a, a rule decision not allowed to vote three times is a voting restriction, <laughs> but it's but it still makes total sense. It's a way of stopping cheating. So I think there's a lot of sort of gamesmanship going on here with the rhetoric. That's being used. You know, they're they're showing statistics that show that minority vote is increasing, but yet they're still surrounding it by rhetoric that just sort of implies that that's not the case. You know, and some of those restri- what they would call restrictions, I think, were just as efforts to harmonize it across the state. So that right. let's just say that in in uh, rural areas, maybe the the polls were open from six in the morning because rural people got up there to do that, and uh, to seven in the evening, and then in the cities it was seven to seven, seven a.m. to seven p.m., something like that. And the state said, "Well, let's just make it seven a.m. to seven p.m. across the state." Well, that would be a restriction to people who were able to who wanted to go at 6 a.m., but, it, you know, it was an attempt to try to harmonize some of these things that were going on. And in some cases, they reduced uh, some of the precincts because they had trouble filling the the staff to be able to come in there. So there's a range of different things that, that could be considered restrictions that the large majority of us, I, I, I think I would say, would not are not really restrictions at all, but just simply attempts to sort of uh, harmonize things. Now, you mentioned earlier that the the Brennan Center follows some of these lawsuits that have mm-hmm. been going on challenging some of these some of these uh, changes in voting law. Um, but there was a recent interesting development uh, in in the Stacey Abrams jo- uh, Georgia case where where Stacey Abrams and her organization was was suing 
my recollection is, right. the state of Georgia accusing all kinds of improprieties and things like that. But that didn't work out very good for her, did it? It did not. And just a few weeks ago, a, a judge uh, came up and said they just simply was not the case, that there had, that a- Abrams had been able to, to provide no evidence of anybody being restricted or unable to vote because of Georgia's voting practices, what they what they have in the in the law. And of course, as you mentioned, the Brennan Center tracks is they have they have right now they're they say they're tracking ninety six active lawsuits in twenty six states plus the District of Columbia. Now why I find this interesting is, you know, we, we had allegations that the twenty twenty election was stolen. More than sixty lawsuits were filed on that. Virtually none of them, I, I mean, the, the courts just didn't go along with any of those lawsuits, which is why those who say the election wasn't stolen will say, look, I, you know, you had all these lawsuits. None of them were, were justified. They didn't, they didn't come through. The, uh, the courts, whether it was a, a Trump or Obama or a Clinton-appointed um, judge, none of those sided with the, uh, with the claims, the, uh, the plaintiffs. Well, as it turns out, uh, there's almost almost none of the uh, the laws that have been uh, uh, these lawsuits have produced any restrictions on the laws. And I think that's really telling because it implies that they're just not able to convince the courts that these new laws are that restrictive. Now, uh, it, it may be some of the lawsuits are still ongoing, so there may be some changes and tweaks and things of that nature. But the Georgia law is still in place. The Texas law is still in place. Most of these states that passed election integrity laws have uh, have so far weathered any legal challenges and are continuing. I think that's really interesting. Um, And just to emphasize, both sides seem to think somehow that the electoral system disadvantages them or is ruled (laughs) against them. Mm -hmm. And, And both sides, as you point up, point out. Both a lot of the Trump partisans and also a lot of the civil rights groups uh, on the left have been suing over these things, and it seems like the in the vast majority of cases uh, these suits fail, which suggests that you know for whatever flaws we have in our in our overall voting system, it, it apparently is more robust than either side seems to think. That's right, and and the judge who decided against Stacey Abrams' lawsuit, who was an Obama appointee, made the case. He said that the law in Georgia isn't perfect, but it they've just not been able to show any um, any evidence that people were being denied the vote based upon the laws in Georgia. And it's really important because, as we've talked about before, states set up their election practices, and some states do very well with it. So others don't do so well. Pennsylvania just just uh, having a good, safe, sound election in Pennsylvania just doesn't seem to be the state's thing. But uh, the, it's these laws are set by the states. We think that's generally good because there's an effort to try to uh, nationalize all these laws. Uh, but the states have done it, and it uh, they vary from state to state. But they so far been able to uh, avoid the law or be able to shun the lawsuits that have been filed against them. So it seems like, based upon the turnout and based upon the uh, judicial branch, these claims that the uh, that elections are that, that so many of these election integrity bills are suppressing the vote just simply don't don't work out. They just it, they're just nothing there. And I sure hope that this begins to sort of sink in uh, with the American people because it, it is really important not only that we sort of stick to our 
system where basically the states run their own elections. But it's also important that the voters have confidence in the integrity of elections. I mean, if, if you were going to map out, you know, how does the United States go down the tubes as far as politics and that sort of a thing? It seems to me that one of the early steps would be for uh, for voters to routinely think that elections were corrupt and dishonest. Right. Uh, because what happens at some point there is people get frustrated or people would get frustrated with going through the proper channels <laughs> to mm -hmm. make to make political change. And they would start turning to other other less noble and less democratic devices. So, it's, you know, I, I think it's great that we're talking about this. I think it's great that we're talking about the fact that uh, tightening up of election laws has not suppressed the vote. I think it's great that we're talking about the fact that the courts have, have turned away almost all of these cases from both sides, mm -hmm. uh, because we really need folks to maintain confidence in our electoral system. And just because we're saying this, we, we should probably mention that we don't necessarily agree with every every uh, provision in every state law on the on their elections. I mean, I I like early voting some. Uh, so I always do that. Some states have more time to vote. Some have less. Some have more vo uh, mail in vote. Some uh, some states are all mail in voting uh, just because uh, we feel like these laws are not necessarily uh, suppressing the vote doesn't mean you and I would necessarily agree with all of them. We might like we might have our own preferences there, but the states get to make those choices. And that's a good thing because it allows us to see what works best. And then you can use that as the model for supporting any kind of election change. Yeah, you know, that's a great point, I think, for us to wrap up on is going back to this idea of the states as laboratories of democracy. Uh, a, a lot of this stuff is incremental improvement, right? I mean, when when Florida had their embarrassing uh, failures uh, in in the first George W. Bush election with the with the hanging chads and everything, mm -hmm. I mean, they re they really dramatically reformed their electoral system. They really tightened things up, and now Florida is is regarded as having one of the best systems in the country. So, I mean, this is you know to some degree this is incremental and when 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 something goes wrong you learn fr fr from it and you try to improve things and you know i think that there were states who tried to do things to make it easier to vote because of the pandemic and it's clear in retrospect that some of those changes were helpful and some of those changes actually opened the door to more cheating and more vote fraud mm -hmm. uh but you know you you're never going to have a perfect system you're never going to have a system that makes it impossible for someone to cheat. Uh, but, you know, it's it's also possible that as states mess up, they're continually to improving things, they're continuing to tighten things up. And that's that's probably the context in which we should see uh, what these red states have done in the last you know year or two on election integrity is, hey, this is a chance for us to tighten things up, for us to maybe do away or modernize uh, some older provisions and things like that. So we have a in theory, at least, and ideally, we have a system of constant improvement, and that's part of the genius of our federalist system. And that would have been a good conversation to have. What we didn't need and what was unhelpful were these over-the-top allegations of Jim Crow 2.0, which simply yeah. poisoned the well on this for many people. Uh, and, and rather than having a good debate about what's appropriate and where we need to make changes and where we don't need to change. Yep. Great. It's a, it's a very good point. Well, we would invite our listeners to check out our website at IPI.org and to sign up there if you'd like to receive notices of our new content, upcoming events, and new podcast episodes. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or Spotify or your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.